Is it all good? Yep. <laughs> all good. Welcome to P is Less Than 0.05, the psychology podcast where we talk about everything psychology. My name's Guy and this is Tom. Hey everyone, I'm Tom and today we'll chat about what we can do when groups of people who differ ethnically, culturally or otherwise hold prejudiced beliefs about the other, like in the examples of the Houthi and Tutsi groups in Rwanda. Quick note, Tom misspoke and meant to say Hutu and Tutsi, whose tension erupted into violence resulting in the genocide of an estimated 800,000 people. The conflict between Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland that began in the late 60s, or the ongoing conflict between the Israeli government and the Palestinian people over control of land in the Middle East. Well, psychology actually has an answer for this, and it's called contact theory. Contact theory is the idea that the more contact you have with a group, the less prejudice you feel about that group. Basically, the more you interact with a group, and it could be any kind of group, the less negatively you feel about the people in that group. Is that a pretty good description. Perfect summary. Awesome. Contact theory is a theory in the same way that gravity is a theory. This is as close as you can get to fact in psychology. There have been thousands of studies on contact theory. And as far as psychological theories go, this one is not that interesting. It's pretty cut and dry. The evidence is pretty overwhelming. The more contact you have with a group, the less prejudice you feel about them. But... There is one part of contact theory that makes it worth talking about, and that is what we're going into today. What a cliffhanger. <laughs> Next time on P's less than 0.05. <laughs> now we can just drill for the rest. <laughs> we haven't hooked. <laughs> Great. So before we go into it, it's worth saying that people do a lot of stupid things. It's actually why I'm so interested in psychology. People smoke, people litter, they speed, they argue. And prejudice is another one of those stupid things. It may seem like we talk about it a lot here, but it's a perfect example of people having all the information laid out in front of them, all the options, and choosing to do the dumb thing. And it's not the only example. Next month, we'll be talking about Dua Lipa and season two of Girls, but this this month it's uh, it's still prejudice. <laughs> so, contact theory was developed by a man named Gordon Allport. You might remember in episode one when we spoke about pluralistic ignorance that this theory was developed by a man named Floyd Allport. Gordon was his younger brother. Wow. Yeah, very interesting. An interesting fact about Gordon: he was a psychologist. Nice. Nice. <laughs> So he wrote a book called The Nature of Prejudice And there's a quote from that that I will read Civilized men have gained notable mastery over our energy, matter and inanimate nature generally And are rapidly learning to control physical suffering and premature death But by contrast, we appear to be living in the Stone Age So far as our handling of human relationships is concerned when do you think this was written? 1954. <laughs> That's, uh, Tom is a cheater. That's exactly <laughs> when it was written. <laughs> also the same year that the US Supreme Court desegregated schools for uh, white children and black children, which is an interesting coincidence. There you go. Gordon was definitely a pioneering psychologist. Like a lot of pioneering psychologists, we now talk shit about his theories but for the most part he was incredibly on the money and contact theory was one of the cases where he was pretty much spot on and it's pretty hard to find literature that disagrees with him it is pretty sad when you read about gordon 
sometimes it's like he had a, a brother who was a, a preeminent psychologist, which is Floyd. But Gordon himself was a, a very, uh, a very eminent psychologist, and taught some other really influential psychologists, like mm. Albert Bandura, who I'm sure we'll talk about at some stage. In any case, he had a pretty good handle on prejudice, and he said that if different groups have contact with each other, then they should get along. He said that stereotypes, meanness, discrimination. They come from a place of not knowing about those other groups. And basically, if you can bridge that gap and learn about each other, then you can reduce prejudice. So almost uncertainty about the behavior or just the nature of other other people from other groups. Exactly. Not knowing what their motivations are or where they're coming from, what their cultural history is. He argued that all of these things contribute to you having prejudice about them but it's almost always coming from a place of, of ignorance, of you just not knowing that group. Mm. There is an important caveat. And this is where contact theory gets interesting. And it's where it gets some balls. And this is the main reason we're talking about it today. He said, contact with other groups reduces prejudice under the right conditions. Which are? Well... He goes on to talk about the characteristics of the right situation, but this is where he kind of started guessing and the literature doesn't totally agree with him. But this is definitely where contact theory goes from being a run-of-the-mill psychology theory to something that is really very intriguing and mystifying. To talk more about this, I'm going to introduce a paper from our alma mater, the University of Queensland. But is there anything else you wanted to say about contact theory more broadly? I don't think so. Okay. I really like contact theory because it's very rare in psychology that you get to study something where it's pretty much always been confirmed and in a lot of situations you will find that it's the truth. Mm. So the paper that I'm talking about was written in 2011 by Dr. Fiona Barlow and their colleagues. There are eight authors on the, on the paper, so I won't list them all here, but we'll put a link to the study in the description. Dr. Barlow and their colleagues ran two studies. In the first study, it was an Australian study, and they looked at the prejudice towards Indigenous and African Australians. They also looked at prejudice towards Muslim Australians and towards asylum seekers. For those of you who don't know, who are not in Australia, Australia has a... a incredibly regressive policy towards asylum seekers where if they come to our country by boat they're processed in a detention center offshore so asylum seekers is something that has been in the public eye for a long time in australia in the second study they looked into prejudice between white americans and african americans i won't go into their approach but it was really cool what they found however was less cool First of all, they found overwhelmingly contact with groups outside of your own reduces your prejudice. In However, line, in line with what we'd expect. In line with what we would expect, exactly. However, they found that positive contact with groups reduces your prejudice, and they found that negative contact with groups increases your prejudice. On top of that, the amount that negative contact increases your prejudice is far more than the amount that positive contact decreases your prejudice. So I'll explain that again. Say you're at a five, where 10 is incredibly prejudiced and one is no prejudice. You're dead in the middle. If you have positive contact with a group, that might take you down to a four, so you're slightly less prejudiced about that group. If you have negative contact with that group, 
it'll take you up to a nine. Mm. It's almost like a negativity bias of sort. It is a negativity bias. Mm. This isn't the only place in psychology where we experience this or come across this. I'm reluctant to bring up another theory, but there is one that helps explain it, and that's taste aversion. Mm. Taste aversion is where you have a negative taste experience with a food. Say, for example, you've drunk too much of a spirit. Next time you smell that spirit, I mean, I'm sure some of our listeners have experienced this. Next time you smell it, you actually have a visceral reaction. Yeah, yeah. Like a sickening, get that away from me immediately. Yeah. I'm going to be sick. Yeah, and it happens with foods that you've eaten if you get food poisoning or have some negative taste experience it really sticks with you Mm. say for example you have a really good steak one night that's great you have the steak it was good you move on if you eat a steak and it gives you food poisoning next time you smell steak it might make you sick Mm. it makes sense Mm. because negatives are always going to be more costly for our fitness than positives will be right well that's it and food's a good example of that yeah because a good steak might you know fill you up get you your calories Mm. um give you you know a nice amount of nutrients that keep you plodding along Mm. but eating a rancid steak could put you in the hospital exactly could take you out for days and You and I have had a lot of conversations about biology and how biology influences behavior. I couldn't think of a more clear example of where biology informs our behavior. Because in the past, if you're a hunter-gatherer and you eat a berry that makes you sick, you never want to eat that berry again. And if you eat too much of that berry, it might actually kill you. So it makes sense for you to be hardwired to avoid something that is negative. Yeah, yeah is negative. It's it tastes really it's an bad. It's an existential threat sick. rather yeah. than a marginal fitness benefit. Yeah. That's the difference between eating something that is yummy and nutritious and eating something that is disgusting and um, deleterious is because one is helping you by a, you know, continue living by a degree of sorts but yeah. the other is existentially could kill you, could kill you. Yeah. yeah exactly it's yeah. like a game over yeah pretty much and so i can see how how the negativity bias would manifest within contact because if people are already uncertain about these groups um and have pre-existing prejudiced attitudes then having negative contact especially if it's in the realm of perhaps i don't know what, what it was in this study mm. um but if it was like a violent crime People could be quite averse to that. What what were the examples in this study? So this was a semi-meta-analysis style study where they collected data from a number of studies that existed in the world. So they do go into detail about what the specific circumstances of contact are, but I think for the most part it was a negative experience can just be... Uh, an angry interaction or someone cutting you off in traffic that at that kind of level mm. yeah but it's interesting that you say that because my question was why does this happen intuitively what you're saying about people going into these situations with these preconceived ideas about the group and then those being reinforced by negative 
interactions that that really makes sense because i really struggled to understand how or why negative interactions with a group would stick with you more than positive ones well i think if we look at our hunter-gatherer ancestors they were quite they kind of kept to their own sort of bands and anytime they would come into contact with another band it'd be well a few things would either happen there'd be conflict and uh, one of the bands would win by killing all the other members or perhaps they they don't engage in conflict but they because there's they're always isolated from one another they catch all the diseases or pathogens that the other group is carrying which breeds you know outgroup hostility or just aversion to affiliating with the outgroup and so i suppose that a negativity of bias of sorts could emerge here because it's more existentially costly to potentially have that happen than it is any ben- any fitness benefit you'll get um when these bands may have cooperated with each other if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely and that's why i think that this is it's such a powerful argument for biology driving our behavior because if you're looking at it in a vacuum and you're seeing the benefits of interacting with a group outside of your own i mean they're innumerable you Mm. have experience with a different culture you can experience uh, different foods, different philosophies, language, all of these Helps things. Helps for cultural innovation as well. Exactly. Innovation, it just enriches your life. And despite that, despite all of these immense positives for interacting with groups outside of your own, we have what looks like a natural predisposition towards being prejudiced and i think um you're touching what you're touching on is something called evolutionary mismatch okay which is when there's a lag between the environment that existed when this trait evolved and the current environment we find ourselves in now so for instance uh, a lot of our anxieties are centered around things that were that would make us anxious um, or elicit a flight or fight response um, in our environment of evolutionary adaptation which is when we were hunter gatherers because that's how we spent most of our human history and so we're quite anxious of snakes and, um, and sorts of things that we don't actually encounter that much, but we're less anxious about driving a car, which is much more well, uh, yeah. existentially threatening than yeah. um, encountering a snake today because it's just more common that we drive cars. And so I think that we evolved aversion to groups because of like, the reasons of pathogens that existed or the conflict, the violent conflict that would happen when these groups encountered each other. But these days we have medicine mm. and, you know, a very clean standard of living relative to how we used to live and so although you know coming into contact with groups who differ from us ethnically culturally or otherwise may not get us sick anymore we still have that um mm. psychology that came from our evolutionary past okay yeah it's pretty it's pretty sad it is yeah pretty grim but what can we do about it <laughs> <laughs> well that's it that is one of my favorite parts of contact theory is that the application of contact theory is super straightforward it's exactly what you would imagine have contact Mm. interact with these other groups and that has been proven again and again and again to reduce prejudice under the right conditions and so how much contact would be required for an effect can it be minimal contact or do you need to have long contact by like literally living next to someone for a few years before prejudice is reduced that is a really good question and i'm glad you asked it i'm going to give some information about a study that i'll go into further detail in later on but 
there was a study that looked into exactly that. How much contact do you need? And they found, let me get this right. Yeah. So they looked at, they looked at one form of contact that they called extended contact. And extended contact is literally you're watching TV and someone of your ethnic group is interacting with someone of a different ethnic group. That reduces your prejudice. Ah, so it, can, it doesn't have to be direct contact. No, you not can at all. get this effect indirectly. Yeah, and they found that that kind of contact has the same effect as you directly interacting with someone. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. And so it's stuff. like not only, not only can it exist um, in an indirect way, like you were saying, but mm. it also doesn't have to be um, a huge exposure just by yep. watching it on TV for a few minutes. Exactly. That is enough to elicit an effect. Yes. So and is, and is it a long lasting effect or is it a. Is it more acute? Like you, your prejudice is reduced temporarily, but maybe you know two weeks later you're completely yeah. prejudiced again. Yeah, that is another great question, and it's something that they also looked at that it reduced prejudice in the immediate, and this reduction stayed for a month. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Pretty cool. Yeah. And does it return to baseline typically, or does it not quite get to the extent it was? previously before the contact they unfortunately didn't look further than a month so all we have from that paper is the evidence about a month out but i don't know i don't want to make assumptions being that uh we're uh we're pretty scientific (laughs) but you can assume if something sticks around for a month then it's a pretty good indication that i mean a month in itself is a great win Mm. um having having an effect having any effect last for a month is awesome and I also wanted to ask about the quantity. I'm assuming that you might get a dose-dependent response. So the more contact you have, yes. the less prejudice you become over time. Yes, yes. There are definitely ceiling effects where you reach the maximum level of acceptance where you have absolutely no prejudice. And there are also, on the other side, floor effects where you reach the maximum level mm. of prejudice. And so I think... I haven't seen any evidence on this, but I would think that this applies to the law of diminishing returns where mm. the first contact you have with a group is outside of your own is the most significant. And then from there, the changes to your prejudice become incrementally smaller. Interesting. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. That's how I would um, interpret the evidence anyway. Yeah. Yes. So that's contact theory. It's a, uh, like we said it's a pretty cut and dry theory where the evidence is pretty overwhelmingly for its existence. And it's existence. a nice theory too. It's yeah. simple, you know. It, it makes intuitive sense. I think that a lot of theories can and hypotheses can be quite mind-bending or mind-melting yeah. in uh, the way they're posed and the amount of maybe unintuitive things that are incorporated in them. Yeah. But this is a pretty, pretty parsimonious and simple explanation to follow. Like it makes sense that getting to know someone who is part of the art group can alleviate prejudice because you're like, oh, well, that guy's not so bad. You yeah. know? Like, I can see the human in him. I can see he's more like me than he's different. Yeah. And you sort of look beyond those superficial differences and probably get to focus on the similarities a bit more. Yeah, definitely. One of the biggest things I took away from the literature as well was that, that indirect contact finding where mm. even seeing two people from different ethnic groups, if one of those ethnic groups is yours, can reduce your prejudice about the other ethnic group. I thought that was amazing. Suppose having, I suppose that having multicultural 
things like films, for example, mm. like having a cast where it's very ethnically diverse mm. could actually produce a net benefit unintentionally. Because people could start watching these movies where it's not all just like white people interacting or all um, African-American people interacting. It's like a mixture of mm. different ethnicities and that could have a unintended consequences of just reducing prejudice yeah. in the US, for example. Exactly. And it's not only representing those ethnic groups in film as they would exist in the population. It's also the effect of, yeah, people watching it. Exactly what you said. Yeah. Great. So that's pretty much a summary of the state of affairs of contact theory. As per usual, we're going to go through two studies that give you a pretty accurate um, snapshot or accurate, maybe not accurate. We're going to go through two studies that give you a snapshot of the literature and where it's up to at the, at the moment. The first study is another study out of University of Queensland. This is not intentional. <laughs> Man, we should get sponsored by them. Um, I swear this isn't on purpose. They're just interesting studies. This one is by Dr. Sabina Olbrecht and Dr. David Smerden. This was a study published in 2022, and they looked at refugee resettlement in Australia. Again, this is another Australian study, and they were looking in particular at a group of refugees who had been settled in a rural town in Australia, and they were looking at the things that influence the prejudice that these refugees would feel or experience. I included this study for a number of reasons. First of all, it's in the real world, which is really cool. It's, it is a little bit it's great to see psych studies tested in the real world because a lot of the time it can be someone testing a theory with undergraduate students or through Mechanical Turk, which we've talked about. Mm. So it's really good to see a study that's being tested on real people in a real-life situation. Secondly, they didn't find anything. It's really important in psychology for us to talk about this. Not every theory is perfect. I don't know that there's a theory out there that has a 100% strike rate. In chemistry, if you add molecule X to molecule Y, you get the same reaction every time, but that is not true in psychology. Mm. The key is in psychology is to not only like look at the weight of the evidence, but the quality of the evidence. So obviously a study with more participants is always going to be, well, usually it's going to be a better study because it has more power to detect an effect and also averages out people in, in a nice bell-shaped way. But also, like Guy said, a lot of theories that are well-supported will also have a ton of examples of studies that don't find the effect. And it's just passing through. It's just about passing through the literature just to find out what most studies suggest is, is the case. And that's usually a good indication of whether a hypothesis or theory is one that can be taken seriously or not. Yeah, that's a great description. And honestly, it can be... I mean, how do you feel about this? You run studies and you, you test hypotheses in the real world. Is this something that, how do you feel about this? Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit, it can be discouraging because when you don't find your support for your hypothesis, you don't actually know whether your hypothesis whether you're wrong. Yeah. is actually wrong yeah. or whether you just happen to not find it in that particular instance and the way it was conducted and all the other factors that surround it. And likewise, when you actually find support for it, you're still not yeah, convinced that your hypothesis <laughs> is one that is a good one or is true because you know like i said you can run it again and not find it and so 
it's really important to never be too dis- in psychology especially to never be too discouraged by not finding it in an effect because you can still test it a bunch of other ways and find the effect but then it's also important not to reach and be like well look at this hypothesis i've figured it out because i can assure you if you run it again or run it in slightly varied ways you might not find support for it unless it's a very very powerful one um, but even then there's uh, always examples of null findings cropping up yeah exactly there's a famous study where they were looking at happiness of participants among a number of other things and they ran the study throughout the day and they found that one group in particular was way happier than all the others and it didn't relate to any of their experimental hypotheses and they sat down and they thought why is this group so happy why are they scoring so highly on this happiness index and they figured out that because they were running the study throughout the day one of the study sessions was immediately after lunch and these people had just eaten so they were happier than all the other participants because they'd eaten (laughs) it makes sense (laughs) yeah so that is uh the world of psychology but this paper I included for this reason. They didn't find support for contact theory. They did find one interesting thing that was a strong gender effect. So females overall held more favorable attitudes towards refugees than males did. I can't think of why this would be the case. Females are higher in some personality characteristics, and maybe those personality characteristics make you more accepting of groups outside of your own. It's obviously a very nuanced topic that we might grapple with one day, the uh, gender differences in psychology. But for now, that's that study. The second study is one that I mentioned earlier, and this is the other side of the coin for contact theory. This was a meta-analysis published in 2015. It's a little bit old but we're including it here because it's pretty compelling. I think this might have been the meta-analysis that you sent me. Yeah. Yeah, great. For those of you who don't know what a meta-analysis is, basically the authors gather all the papers on a certain topic and analyze them to see if they agree with each other. Mm, Exactly. And it constitutes the best form of evidence in scientific literature because it's taking a large amount of studies and almost averaging out to get to a finding. You could be like, well, we found 11 studies that supported it and three that didn't. And, you know, you could have just been on Google Scholar and found the one that didn't or found the one that did. Mm. But when you have a meta-analysis, it's including all of those and it can give you a better idea of which way it actually, um, which way the pattern of results actually go. Mm. Mm. That's a great description of a meta-analysis. <laughs> um, yeah, great. This one was written by Lemmer and Wagner from Philips University in Marburg, which is in Germany. And they read through over 5,000 papers and found 129 that met all of their inclusion criteria. They found a couple of things. Firstly, contact reduced prejudice. Overwhelmingly, the evidence supported contact theory. But there was more. They found that not only did contact reduce prejudice, it stayed reduced, which is what I was saying before. Mm. And on top of that, direct and indirect contact were just as effective as one another Mm. and again that uh this was the study that looked into extended contact which is just seeing these ethnic groups interact with each other and they found that reduced prejudice and so how did they how do these studies differ from ones that were 
conducted in uh, the laboratory or something like that? What what made these like real world studies like how how are they actually conducted in the real world? That is a great question, and there were some issues with the first paper I know because if you're doing things in the real world, obviously it's great because you get an accurate representation of what's happening in the real world. You can test these theories as they would actually exist in the world, but you can't control the Mm. small details. You can't control when someone will fill out a survey. You actually can't control who will fill out the survey because the sample is the sample. So although the conditions are more ideal, Mm. the variables are less controlled for and so it's advantageous because it's resembling how contact and contact theory will emerge in real situations but we can't control for things we'd like to and so we can't be sure i suppose of the findings in a way we could in a more controlled situation exactly and in this town where the refugees were being resettled this might have been an incredibly accepting town Mm. this town might have had more public initiatives that increase acceptance of refugees than any other town we just don't know there might be some characteristic of this town that accounts for why they didn't find any support for contact theory Mm. and not having any control over that obviously influences the results the second study the meta-analysis that only included papers from the real world again so It's a little bit of a contrast because we have one paper there where they didn't find any evidence for contact theory, and this could have been because it was conducted in the real world, but the meta-analysis is the other side of that where the the, uh, effect is so strong that it existed in the real world. But that is a great uh, question about how it being in the real world affects the studies and and whether these are representative of of the real world. Mm. And uh, so do you know of any interventions currently that are implementing real-world strategies or how effective they are if, if you do know any? The really cool thing about contact theory is its simplicity. Mm. Whenever contact theory has been applied, because it's so straightforward, the application is contact. It's to have contact with these groups. And so this is something that can be included in your daily routine you can have more contact with groups outside of your own. So yeah, there have been interventions done using contact theory and they're effective. Could it be difficult in places where there's just neighborhoods of, like very homogenous neighborhoods where it's just one ethnic group occupying that particular neighborhood and they don't get a chance to interact? Is there something that governments can do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a really good point. And I think that is one of the reasons why prejudice, discrimination, and stereotypes are still so pervasive, it's for that exact reason that the opportunities for contact are pretty slim. Mm. Like you do somewhat have to go out of your way to interact with groups outside of your own because there are existing stereotypes, there are, it, it can be hard. Mm. So I suppose the cost-effective way of doing that because we spoke about direct versus indirect contact mm. it could be very costly to uproot people's lives to try and yeah. have a mixed neighborhood yeah. um, a more heterogeneous neighborhood but because contact can contact theory is also efficacious in an indirect way that that's quite nice to to learn about because you can just watch a film or yeah. you can uh, watch some television and also get that effect but i wonder if the effect is actually 
um, less strong when it's in that indirect way than in a direct way. So from that meta-analysis, and this isn't comprehensive, there might be, again, this is almost 10 years old, and there might be evidence that contradicts this in the future, but they found that the effect of direct and indirect contact was pretty similar. Wow. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly what you're saying. One of the ways that we could reduce prejudice using contact theory is just showing groups interacting with each other mm. in a positive way. Great. Yeah. So it's pretty pretty uplifting stuff. It is. It is. <laughs> <A> uplifting episode. <laughs> um, great. That's pretty much everything that we had to talk about. Was there anything else you wanted to mention, Tom? That's it from me. Cool. So uh, if you like the show, then... I don't know. What do you what do you do? Just listen to it. Yeah, just listen, listen to it, it again. <laughs> Run it back. Listen to it again. <laughs> Tell your friends. If you want to get in contact with us, write a message and put it in a bottle and throw it out into the ocean. And uh guy guy likes to sit by beaches. Yeah, that's it. And I'll collect <laughs> the messages. So they'll definitely reach us. <laughs> Great. We do have a Twitter which is we will link in the description, but otherwise thank you very much for listening and we'll see you all next time. See ya. Shit, how do we transition? <laughs>